Welcome to Ethics and the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears, and today I'm honored to sit again with Commander Andrew Ledford. Commander Ledford is a permanent military professor of leadership in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the Naval Academy. He's been on the show before, so there's no need to give him a new introduction, except to say that Andrew has decades of dog handling and training experience. Let's see if that experience has relevance to moral courage. Professor Lefford, welcome. Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate being here and uh, happy to talk about moral courage. Hey, listen, I appreciate that also. And let me let me kind of give a nod to dogs for a second and, and, and connect why I want to talk about that. We're talking about moral courage. I think I have an understanding of moral courage. What is moral courage? And can dogs have moral courage? Well, that's a good question. I think uh, moral courage is really about uh, taking action in some way despite the risk and consequences, and you take that action because you know it's the right thing to do, uh, and you don't have a, a doubt about uh, the right and wrong, and you, you take that action anyway. Um, I, now, regarding dogs, I think, you know, at a, dogs definitely can be courageous to some degree, but I think uh, the rationalization of the consequences uh, I'm not sure if that's completely apparent with dogs. I'm not sure if you could completely say that moral dogs have moral courage in the same way that humans would. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I'm probably I'm trying to be a little bit too cutesy here, but my sense here from listening to you that uh, you've got to understand what you're doing and what the consequences are. If a dog is charging up a hill, hey, it might be because uh, the folks up on top of the hill have sausages up there. You never know. Exactly. And then there's some instinct that goes along with it too in their in their character. So I think the difference with humans is to really understand and think of those consequences. And it can be physical courage on the battlefield. You know what's going to happen if you charge the hill and there's a machine gun nest at the top. It can be jumping out of an airplane. You know, you are standing on the uh, the ramp, you're 13,000 feet up, and you take that step out the door knowing you're going to be traveling down at 125 miles per hour, and you have about 10 or 15 seconds from when you pull your chute to deal with any uh, emergencies before you hit the ground. And so I think all of that knowledge is part of this definition of courage and moral courage is definitely part of that. So tell me about the connection between moral courage, physical courage, martial or battlefield courage. Why are they all intertwined? So I think it comes from this same place uh, deep down in which there is an ability to understand the risks and the consequences. And then there's a confidence within someone knowing what is required of them and what they should do, and they understand those risks, and they still take that action, understanding the risks that they're taking. Um, and I think that manifests itself in different ways. So there's physical courage, you know, that I mentioned with uh, jumping out of an airplane, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I see it on SEALs' faces all the time when you go up, you know, everyone's thinking about the emergency procedures, and it, it is not the lack of fear at all. Everyone feels fear, but it is putting that fear aside and thinking about what has to happen and taking that first step out the ramp at 13,000 feet uh, and taking those actions confident that your equipment is going to function and that 
you're going to go through the procedures correctly and you're going to pull the chute at the right altitude and everything's going to be okay. So I think having that uh, connection, you know, as far as knowing the consequences and what to do, you know, translates in a whole bunch of different ways, um, regardless of physical battlefield, moral courage, it's, it's kind of coming from the same spot in, uh, in someone. So let me take your uh, jumping out of the airplane analogy. You're not going to take shortcuts. You're not going to decide, ah, what the heck? I checked it on the ground. I'm not going to check it in the air. I'm not going to check my buddy thoroughly. It's close enough. I mean, how does taking shortcuts diminish your moral courage? Exactly. And I think taking the, uh, the parachute analogy to that logical step, there are individuals who take shortcuts. Uh, when you're packing a parachute, you pack it a certain way, you take your time, you do certain checks every time you make a number of folds within your parachute and you have an outside entity double check your work while you're packing that parachute. If you rush through that process, don't get all the checks that you're supposed to, don't have an outside entity looking at it, then, you know, yeah, you can pack your chute up a bunch of times, but sooner or later, those shortcuts are going to catch up to you and you're going to have to pull your reserve. You're going to have to cut away your main parachute and pull reserve. Uh, and it does happen. You see a number of individuals who take shortcuts and they have a quite a few cutaways and end up going to the reserve quite a few times. And it's kind of indicative of a little bit of the, the shortcuts they've taken uh, in the past. So, and I think that definitely with moral courage, is basically the same thing. It's these little pieces each day, these daily occurrences in which you take a mental shortcut, uh, you cut corners, you kind of work in this gray area in your responses with people. And if you do that enough over time, gradually those shortcuts amount to big shortcuts. Uh, and, and that's where you see people stumbling in big ways. Now, are you talking about not squaring your corners properly or walking around with your hands in your pockets? I mean, what are these, what, what are the shortcuts? Can you give a couple of examples around the yard? Uh, what have you seen in terms of those shortcuts? So just the other day we were talking, I was talking with an individual who was talking to their instructor and kind of alluded, was right in some gray area, alluded that, you know, they might have a chip or that there might be a medical reason why they missed class. And it wasn't something outright that they said. It wasn't a complete fabrication, but it was the implication that there was some medical excuse that they had. And the instructor didn't, you know, uh, took them at their word, heard that implication and believed them. Um, later on found out that, yeah, that wasn't true. It wasn't accurate. They didn't have that medical uh, excuse. And it was that gray area. So the, the midshipmen didn't completely fabricate a story, but the implication, that gray area where the, the mid implied, that's the shortcut that I'm talking about. Do you generally know when you're doing those shortcuts? Is it that black and white? I think to some small degree, you know. And, and then if you do that enough over time, it becomes unnoticeable it becomes a habit and it's something that goes unnoticed to that individual. So Andrew, do you know when you're kind of in that gray area? I think you do. I think especially at first, you know that the gray area feels uncomfortable and it probably isn't right. But I think over time, 
And this is where it can be a really slippery slope. Over time, if that continues to happen, if you keep going into that gray area and doing things, I think one per person can get comfortable with it and then it becomes a habit. And I'm not sure if they even recognize how far down that slope they've gone once they've been in that gray area multiple times. I think it definitely is there at first. So you'll kind of know it. And one of the problems, I think, from my standpoint at least, is you're the only one who can really stop you, even though uh, you know you look around and see other people doing things like that also. Exactly. Uh, I take the example of uh, Buds when I was at SEAL training. You know, I had come from the Marine Corps, so I had my infantry background, which was a fantastic preparation on what was expected of me as a leader. And going to Bud's, there was a culture to some degree was when the instructors weren't looking, get by, like cut corners, take shortcuts whenever you could. If the instructors weren't looking, then basically rate what you skate. And I, you know, took a lot of heat from my classmates at Bud's because I would not let my boat crew cheat. And we suffered because of it, in which we weren't always came in last in a couple races and we weren't always in the first place. And definitely uh, the motto there is it pays to be a winner. And so you get a little bit of a downtime if you, you know, win boat races or relay races. And uh, I would never let my boat crew cheat. And, and I think that to some degree, I, I maintained a, a great deal of respect, at least, even though we physically paid a little bit of the price for that. Uh, I think my boat crew at least always looked at me like they knew where I stood all the time. There was no question about it. Um, and that was something I carried on with me into the SEAL teams as well afterwards. There, there's clearly value in your team, your colleagues knowing who you are and where you stand. It might hurt a little bit, but you know, you gotta- you It know, hurt a lot. Yeah. I'm sure it, it hurt, a hurt a lot. So, so last question here, how do you build moral courage? Can you build moral courage? I think you can. I think uh, in everyday occurrences, there are there's some gray area in which you know you, people talk and you can be clear about what you're saying. And if there's a perception or if there is miscommunication, not allowing that miscommunication to occur and always be over communicative of what you're intending. I think is how you build that courage. The shortcuts, the small little shortcuts that I was mentioning, when no one is looking, that's when it really matters. And if you do, if you take advantage of situations when no one is looking, even if it's a small thing, over time, those small things will all add up. And then eventually when it is this big thing that really, really matters, that the decisions you made with the small things is the exact same decision you're going to make with this really big thing. It reinforces itself. Andrew, thank you very much for this talk today. We're running out of time. Appreciate you coming back. Uh, and let's definitely do some more conversations about courage and uh, how to be a warrior. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Appreciate it, Michael. You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, produced by the Boeing Leadership Innovation Lab at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You can find more of our podcasts by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu.